0: Church, good to see you. Some of you out there still lingering in the hallway, where it's really hot and humid. Here's a here's a hint for those of you out there: it's much cooler in here. Some of you are probably like, "Wait a second! Like, did we miss something? Why is he up there sooner?" We we are switching up this service, and you're going to find out why. It's intentional. Um, it's part of the message that we are going to be looking at this morning. Um, before. I do unpack the scripture. I want to do two things. First of all, if you were with us last Sunday, absolutely amazing. I think we should praise God again for what he did. We had 25 people get baptized to publicly declared loyalty to Jesus as a declaration of their changed life, of going under the water and saying, I died with Christ, and now I'm alive with Christ, and the life I live is his life. It's awesome. And also, if you remember, we kept doing that thing, trying to encourage our church, trying to encourage you, if the Spirit is prompting you to, to listen to that and obey, and if you've never been baptized to do that, we know that the Spirit was doing that because we've heard stories afterwards. And so that's, that's encouraging. But not only that, Just hearing news of how how many people have been saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior this past week alone. It's exciting. It's great to be part of a church where we are willing to surrender ourselves and let Jesus kind of do his thing. And that's why we love to say that we want to be simply all about Jesus. And so it's exciting to celebrate that. But secondly, I want to give a shout-out to Robert DeRoe in the God of Hope Ministries. Um, Yeah. If you don't know anything about them and what they do, I I was graciously invited to speak at their uh, discipleship graduation program where they go through a pretty intense year program, those who are inmates at the Travis County Jail. And they learn a lot about Jesus and doctrine and just real practical things about how to live life and what does biblical manhood look like. And it's just a really sweet time to go there and to listen to stories and life change of inmates who... said yes to the program because they wanted to get get out of something else and find out that they met Jesus in the midst of it, to people just really seeing life change. It was so humbling to be part of that. But I think what was moving the most is how you, sir, how you, sir, have listened to Jesus and done what he says and stayed faithful throughout all of the years. And so, Robert, I think, man, you're worthy of honor in that. Yep for sure Now now we all know yes all honor goes to God but he needs a willing vessel And you were worthy or open to saying, yes, Lord, use me. And if you want a place to volunteer to disciple the least of these, I encourage you to reach out to God of Hope and join them in what God is doing there. It is humbling. It's amazing. It's awesome. And so thank you for being part of that and allowing us as a church to partner with you. And all glory to God for sure. Um, we are going to be going into our summer series. In this summer series, we're going to look at three specific topics from now, June, all the way till September. And we're going to look at three things. The Holy Spirit, so for this Sunday and the next three weeks after this, we're going to dive into the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we're going to talk about the way of love. What does love look like and how should we love? Because we're going to be entering into a pretty volatile season in America... Yeah, And I think we need to learn how to love and learn how to love well and love like Christ. And then we're going to look at this idea of altars. Where are the altars we have erected in our life and who are we worshiping on those altars? So we're starting right now. Just look for four weeks into the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about him because like the reality is, the Holy Spirit is one of the most important teachings we have in Scripture and it's one of the most important realities that we see in the Bible and it's one of the teachings that we are most afraid of, most unaware of, most confused by, and at the same time hold the strongest opinions on. Right? If I were to ask you, talk to me about the Holy Spirit. How do you become filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you pray by the Spirit? Or how do you pray in the Spirit? Is the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit for today or not for today? And how do you know? Where's your biblical precedent? How do I read these stories in the scriptures and go, wait... How come we're not experiencing some of these things? And it's all of this mystery. And sometimes some of us who have been in the church world for a while, like we formed our paradigms on the Holy Spirit, either based upon personal experience or just the theological camp that we've been part of, right? So it's like some of us, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we get a little like leery. And and typically, like those who get most uncomfortable tend to be those in the conservative evangelical theology camp. Now when I say conservative, I'm not talking political, I'm talking scriptural. And we like to be more in the spiritual discipline manner, where we think of the Holy Spirit more as something that aids us in understanding the Holy Spirit, because we've seen those who have abused the Holy Spirit, and we've seen them kind of look goofy and crazy and done all sorts of things and abused it. And quite frankly, honestly, a lot of the things that those on the far extreme that we would say like crazy charismatics—that's just you know—forgive me for saying that—but like like they have abused. That. And I would even say they flirt with the demonic at some level. But does that mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, wouldn't it be the same thing? I mean, people have used scripture and have abused scripture, and we don't throw scripture out the window. But the irony is, it's like you and I can't even understand scripture right unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to it. So, how do we engage in this? Now, some of you have been hurt or burned or disappointed by some of the things of the Spirit. I I know I have, and I know my wife has. Like, remember sometimes where we were praying for a circumstance, specifically healing for a circumstance. And well-meaning people who were, quote-unquote, supposed to be full of the Spirit, basically said, it didn't happen because you didn't have enough faith. Well, then, like, when it didn't happen, you can always go, you're right. I should have more faith, right? We all should have more faith. So then what happens is not actually a desire to pursue Jesus or encouraging faith. What happens is guilt. You're like, oh, I should have more faith. I should. I know I should. It was not mean I should try harder. Or I remember when I was a young Christian, I was told that I never had the Holy Spirit because when I was baptized, I never spoke in tongues, and so then I just went, wait a second, so then, you know, as I'm a new believer, I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, help me speak in tongues, and it didn't happen. So I'm like, do I have the Holy Spirit, or do I not have the Holy Spirit? And because of the confusion, and because we oftentimes don't dig into it and try to understand it, we just kind of keep him at bay. The Holy Spirit is a significant thing. I mean, it is so significant. It's talked about over and over and over and over in the New Testament. Jesus was absolutely excited and eager to go to the Father so that the promised advocate, the promised spirit would actually come. To the degree, he said, it's better for me to go because when I go, the spirit will come upon you and in you and then you'll be able to do greater things. You can't even be my witnesses. You can't even build my church until the Spirit comes upon you. Right? Like, so we hear all of these things. And yet, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, one, our opinions kind of flare up. And we start to feel kind of weird. Like, oh, my goodness. Are we going to start passing out snakes in the church and try to do this snake-biting thing? (laughs) Joke. Right, like, or, like is he, or are we going to become that church or whatever? All these types of things start to stir up. But I'm telling you right now, I believe it's one of the schemes of the devil to keep the church ignorant of the Holy Spirit. Because the church can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. It just can't. And so we need to come in childlike faith, come to the scriptures and understand who the Holy Spirit is. We tend to err on two camps. Either the Holy Spirit's all about experience and emotion or it's all about like just, it's the word of God. The reality is it's both and. Just because people have abused either side doesn't mean it's not both and. The Holy Spirit's never gonna contradict scripture. Scripture is a revelation of the Holy Spirit which reveals who Jesus is. It all goes together. The sad thing is, In most churches, we relegate the Holy Spirit down to creedal statements and doctrinal statements that we profess in belief, but we never experience the dynamic, vital, day-to-day infilling of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, he said infilling. What does he mean? Right? Is it a one-time thing, a multiple thing? Is it a second baptism thing? All these kind of questions start to surface. And that's what I want to try to unpack and bring clarity to through the Holy Spirit this morning. A.W. Tozer says this, I doubt whether any evangelical has ever denied the deity of the Holy Spirit. However, we certainly neglect him and his lordship within the church. This failure to honor the Holy Spirit has resulted in much desolation within the church because the Holy Spirit is not the center of attraction and the Lord Jesus is not the one in charge. So we must bring in all sorts of anti-scriptural and unscriptural claptrap, which is not a cultural word anymore, like other things into the church in order to keep the people happy and keep coming within the church instead of the Holy Spirit. When I read that, I went, ooh, that that rings kind of true. So I don't know where you are in terms of like your theological paradigm and understanding of the Holy Spirit, but I want you just to come with me as we lean on God's word and lean on the Holy Spirit to dig into what this is. How do we walk by the Spirit? How are we filled by the Spirit? How do we pray by the Spirit? And how do we as a church use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, okay? Okay. You guys with me? Yeah? I, I, I need you to be with me because we don't have slides this morning. Okay? I, this is the third message I gave this week. So there are no visual cues. So you need to be with me. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15. So open up your Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15. Paul is writing To the church in Ephesus. Now we have to understand, he's speaking and writing this letter to those who have professed faith in Jesus. This is not a letter written to non believers, but a letter written to believers. And that should influence how we see and interpret these verses. Verse 15 Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Of Christ. There is one line in these verses that has caused confusion, and it's the line be filled with the spirit, or be filled by the spirit. He's writing this to believers who we know as scriptural, like they have professed faith, they believed in in their heart and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. So therefore, scripturally, we understand that when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Indwells you. In fact, you can't even become a believer until the Holy Spirit actually begins to convict you of sin. And you can't even understand the solution to the sin issue unless the Holy Spirit reveals to you the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us, right? And so the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. There, Therefore, we have all that we need for life and goodness in Christ Jesus. We have all that we need. Now, how can Paul then say to believers, be filled by the Spirit when they already are Filled by the Spirit. Like, how do we make sense of it? Like, what does that mean? And how do we do that? So this is where the camps kind of start to divide. But the reality is, we divide, we divide these camps based upon, is being filled by the Spirit, something we experience is it an emotional experience? Is it a feeling? Is it like an event where, like, where all we can do is just pray and wait upon the Lord and it's just signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff? Or is being filled by the Spirit a spiritual discipline that we develop where we grow spiritually? So, which one is it? Yes. It's both. But we tend to split them. But that's not the right way of understanding it. You see, if we were to look at the Holy Spirit and how he comes in the New Testament, there are things and stories and timing that should make us start to ask these questions. Like in John 20, verse 21, Jesus just resurrected from the dead. And he's showing up to his disciples saying, hey, this is me. I'm here. I resurrected." And in John 20, 21, this is not Pentecost, he says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and they received the Holy Spirit. So wait, I thought, I thought Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the, the Holy Spirit would come, and then they'll be their witnesses. But here in John 20, well before Pentecost happened, Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. So which is it? I, like... This is a beautiful image because when it says that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, it's like this, it's a reflection to Genesis when God breathed into Adam and brought life. He breathed on them and they were new creations. And so, in essence, scholars would say they received the holy spirit in that moment they became new believers new uh, creations in that moment but now Jesus says wait for the promise of the holy spirit in acts 1:8 because then you'll be my witnesses so then acts 2 as they're praying now it's pentecost the holy spirit falls down and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to speak in other tongues and other languages so that those there who are from different nations are hearing their own language. And they're like, whoa, what is this about? They're absolutely drunk which Peter's like, nah, it's too early in the morning for that. Like, no, we're not drunk by wine, but the Holy Spirit has influenced us. And what you are experiencing is the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing God's power, and then he's boldly empowered to proclaim the gospel. Goes to the Old Testament and says, this is what was prophesied before, that the Holy Spirit would come. Okay, so which one is it? Is it a one-time thing, or is it a kind of a continuous thing? Thing. And if it's a continuous thing, does that mean we lose the spirit? Well, Acts 4... Now, Peter and John, they went and they were proclaiming Jesus after healing. And the Sadducees and Pharisees said, Stop talking about Jesus. And they said, We're not going to stop talking about Jesus. They go back to their home church and they start to tell them what just happened. And then they pray, praising God that, you know, He is the sovereign Lord and nations are raging. And they say, God, consider their threats, but enable us to preach boldly as we are still going to go out there and tell people about Jesus. And when they finished praying, it said that the room shook. And then they were were filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we make sense of this? I mean, over and over and over, we read these types of scenarios. We know, scripturally, that when you are a born-again Christian, it was done by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. But that does not guarantee that you are going to live by the Spirit, and that you will live filled by the Spirit. You have a Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Ephesians 1 says that it's a seal given to you. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit's in there, actually affirming to you your sonship and daughtership in Jesus. Like, it's there. You are a new creation. But we're also told in Scripture to not quench the Spirit. Which tells us that our behaviors and our actions could directly affect the filling of the spirit. Timothy heard from Paul, fan into flame. The church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, when Jesus comes and looks at the church, he says, Hey, I wish you were either hot. Like you're on fire for me or you're cold. Like you're just done with me. This lukewarm thing, this like this Sunday morning coming in, acting like you're a believer type of thing. This, I was going to say vanilla, but I like vanilla. I don't know why I always use like vanilla as a bad thing. Vanilla is great. But like, you know, a lukewarm thing. It's like if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. So is, is Jesus saying that he's going to vomit out Christians who are filled by the spirit or is he speaking about Christians who are have the holy spirit indwelling in them but have quenched the spirit we need to understand it that this is something about quenching the spirit we are exhorted here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 to daily be filled by the spirit you with me That was not convincing (laughs) at all. I mean, we can just wrap up and I could come back. Like, Ephesians 5.18, okay? Like, if you're quenching the Spirit, that doesn't mean you lost your salvation or the Holy Spirit is no longer in you. that's, That's bad theology. Like, when you're saved, you have assurance of your salvation. The Holy Spirit is a seal, of that salvation, right? It's a, it's a promised guarantee that it's going to happen, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be filled by the Spirit. So let's look at this verse, and I wanted to show you a little bit of Greek here. We're not going to do just all teaching, because I also want to encourage you of how do we live this way, okay? When Paul says, be filled by the Spirit, there's some aspects to the, the grammar that's absolutely important. first, It's plural. So it's not just to special people. It's not just to the pastors in the church or the elders. It's to all who believe in Jesus. And it's a command. It's an indicative. Right? So he's saying to everybody who believes in Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. So logically, you can say that if I'm not being filled by the Spirit, I'm actually sinning. That should kind of make us perk up a little bit. Okay, so the next thing that we see is it's a present tense, right? Which means it's something that should happen every day. To be filled by the Spirit is an everyday action. But here's what's confusing. It's in the passive voice, which means it's something that happens to you. So how does that make sense? If I'm, like, supposed to, if I'm commanded to be filled by the Spirit, but it's not something that I actually can do. It's something that's done to me. How can then I be commanded to be filled by the Spirit, right? Like how can we obey a passive verb? So I I try to think of of an illustration. This may work. It may not work. You're my test subjects, so let's find out. If I were to tell you to call your mom every day, you would know how to do it and what to do, you would know exactly what it means. You would grab your phone, dial your mom's number, or just push the button and wait for her to answer. Now, if I switched it and I said, hey, I command you every day to be phoned by your mom, you would look at me like, well, I can't, how am I supposed to do that? I can't convince her to call me. But that's the idea of this passage is like, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a passive thing. So maybe how I can like, have my mom call me is maybe I just tell her. Like, hey, I need you to call me every day. Or like wait for her to call me and then answer when she does call. So this is the confusion of this passage right here. It's like how do we do something that causes something to be done to me? Like that, that's it. So what does it mean? Is he talking about an experience or a spiritual discipline? Which one is it? It's both. So let's go back to verse 15 in order to understand. Pay careful attention to how you live. There's there's four do things and three don't things here. One, do. Be careful attention to how you live. Don't. Be unwise. Right? You, You start to see this. Do make the best use of the time. Don't be foolish because the days are evil. Do understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk. Do be filled by the Spirit. Paul is in a way suggesting that the best way for you and I to live in a wise way and to take advantage of the opportunities before us and to know what the will of the Lord is, is essentially we need to be filled by the Spirit. That's important, but it still doesn't necessarily answer what does that mean. It's a command given to believers, okay? So I think it's not by accident that Paul says, do not be drunk by wine. We're going to use, just don't be drunk because we have more options today, right? Like you're like, it just says wine, I can use other stuff. Pastor Brandon says so, no, just don't be drunk, but do be filled by the Spirit. So when we try to answer what does he mean, I think it's important for us to go, what happens when you're drunk? Like what's the common phrase when we see someone drunk or hear about someone being drunk? We oftentimes say they were under the influence, right? They weren't in their right mind. They they, they had no self control. They ended up doing things that almost felt like something on the outside was causing it. They didn't act right. They didn't think right. There are all sorts of feelings, all sorts of things. They were under the influence of the wine that they consumed. And so they were no longer in control. They were overcome by it. So when we think about what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit, I want to give you just a simple definition. Think of it this way. It's to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't be under the influence of wine, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I love that it's built in a daily thing because, right, like if you wanted to, this sounds bad, just hang with me. If you wanted to get drunk today, yesterday's drinking is not sufficient for today. Right? Like you, 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 you got to do it today. And, Right? That's the idea. It's like you be filled by the Spirit. Like yesterday's filling is not sufficient for today's filling. So you got to be continuously filled by the Spirit. Right, And we think about filling. We're not thinking necessarily about like, I have a glass, and I'm going to fill it up with water. It's filled with water. No, we're talking about some external power that's coming on the inside that actually begins to influence how we think, how we act, what we do, the words that we say. That's this idea of being filled by the Spirit, now, I know this is where it gets weird because people have abused this whole statement and now people are like, listen, I am drunk by the Spirit. Like, we, we, it, you can just Google that on YouTube and you'll see things where you'll see certain church leaders, I'm not gonna call them church leaders and I'm gonna be bold and just say, it's not biblical, and they're stumbling around like this on stage. I'm just so drunk. And they're doing all of that. They're literally acting like they're drunk. Are they making it up? I don't know. Could they be under the influence of something demonic? Yes. You see, being drunk by the wine is being out of control and it's a selfish thing, but a fruit of the spirit is self control. Yes, you can be underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit, but you're still in control. And it's not just for you. Even though you're going to have the benefits of emotion or joy or peace, it's ultimately meant to help other people see who Jesus is. Right? When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and accused of being drunk, he was able to discern the situation and had a clear enough mind to say, hey, we're not drunk. Here's what it is. The Holy Spirit has come upon us and we're under his influence. And what you're experiencing is a promise of the old testament. Right? He was able to make a logical sense of the circumstance. So those are the things, it's those types of moments that cause some of us conservative evangelicals kind of scared. Like if I'm underneath the influence of the spirit, does that mean I'm going to just start babbling and clucking like a chicken and rolling on the floor and giggling nonstop? Could he? Sure he could. It's God. God can do anything. But that's that's. That's not it. It's rarely ever for ourselves. Anything that God does inside of us is, yes, we get blessed by it. But it's oftentimes for another. You'll receive power by the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be my witnesses. And yes, they were under the influence, Peter and them, in Pentecost. And they were doing things that only could be explained by the Holy Spirit. So I was trying to think, how can I explain this? Like, how how can I share a story of what this is like? And the best way I can describe it to you is like preaching, okay? And and I found a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and here's what he says about preaching. And I read this, and I went, yes, yes, I have experienced this more often than not. The anointing of the Holy Spirit... Gives clarity of thought to the preacher, clarity of speech and ease of utterance, a great sense of authority and confidence as you are preaching, and an awareness of the power that's not your own, thrilling through the whole of your being, and in an indescribable sense of joy. You are as a preacher, a man possessed, you're taken hold of and taken up. And I put it like this: I know nothing else on earth that is comparable to this feeling. And when this happens, you have a feeling that you're actually not doing the preaching. You're looking on. It's as if you are part of it in an amazement that God is doing it. I can't tell you how many Sundays I come into this pulpit and I'm like, this is going to be a train wreck. Lord, I don't know. And I start preaching it and I'm like, God, that's good. I'm like having a conversation in my own head. And people will come up to me like, that's a great sermon. I'm like, you have no idea. That's being under the influence. You ever have a prompting? Like you just had a time of prayer and time in the word. All of a sudden you just felt like God was nudging you to do something. You're under the influence. Now it's up to you to decide to do it or not. Jesus said that apart from him we can do nothing. Apart from the Holy Spirit we have no power. We cannot function. We can't cause anything in the church to grow. Only God causes the growth. We can't do it in our own efforts. We can create the environment for those things to happen. We can be filled with the Spirit as a church for God to move. And that's the idea. But here's the reason why I believe many of us are afraid of being underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit. Is because you're actually afraid of giving up control to God. You do not want God to control all of your life. There are parts of your life that you're just simply not willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. And so there, wherever that is, that's where you struggle to experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit in that area. So therefore, when we don't experience the Holy Spirit because of our lack of submission to God, we then relegate the Holy Spirit to a statement of faith. And say, well, it's just not true. It's just that. It's Holy Spirit. But it's really us. Okay, so what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? What does it mean? It means that there's something that we have to do daily to be filled by the Spirit in order for us to walk by the Spirit, to be underneath the Spirit's influence. But how do we do this? Like, how do we become filled by the Holy Spirit? The English language is not as good as the Greek language in terms of biblical interpretation. We have one word that means one thing typically. So like the word spirit is the word pneuma we would see in the Greek. And when they understood it, like when they saw the word spirit, it would be wind, breath, fire, spirit. And so it was like the whole image was wrapped up in there. So the way they would have interpreted it specifically in Ephesians was to be filled by the wind of God. To be filled by the breath of God. So let me try to give you some illustrations to help. I used to play the trombone. And in the trombone, it's a great instrument for those of you who are judging me right now, like trombone or for the nerds of the band. It was a great instrument. But a trombone is just a trombone, it can't make music unless something from the outside does it. So I can't say to the trombone, be filled with breath. It has to be done from something. And so it's like the trombone is only able to be used effectively to its creative purpose when someone breathes into the trombone. Then it's able to make music. Another great illustration that I'm going to lean on the most is it's like sailing. Like I had a few experience sailing. I am a novice. I don't know anything. I'm going to use terms for those of you who know how to sail. You're going to be like, he's abusing those terms. Yes, I am. I'm up here. You're not. So it's like It's like sailing. Sailing is dependent upon the wind, right? You're not going to go anywhere if there's no wind, but it could be blowing, and yet you still could not know how to harness the wind, and you still could have a failure of a time sailing. Sailing. So, is being filled by the Holy Spirit an experience or a discipline? It's both. Because in order to harness the wind, you have to have the disciplines and a know how how to set the sail right in order to harness the wind. And if you harness the wind right, man, it's exhilarating. But it's also like kind of like you got to be on your toes because the wind can change course. It could be misdirected. Sometimes you could like actually catch the wind kind of the wrong way and you got to be careful because the mask coming around and smack you in the head. Not that that has ever happened to me. It has. It's like all sorts of things. Like, or you're just so frustrated because you had it at one point and you're going really fast and all of a sudden it just went in a different direction and you're like, this is dumb. And it's just like. Pfft. Like you have to know how to do it. Like think of like (laughs) windsurfing. Like if you windsurf and there's no wind, you just fall in the water. Like, like that's the beauty of this passage. Is like, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, no, you set your sail where the wind is blowing, but you gotta do the things that get the sail there. And once the sail harnesses the wind, no sailor says, "Look how amazing I am. I'm the one making this boat go fast." No, it's the wind that's doing it, but I play a part in doing it. And once you harness the wind, you have a great experience of sailing. Think about rowing as in contrast. You ever try to row a boat by yourself into the wind? It's frustrating. I mean, you're just like exerting all this energy and you feel like you're going nowhere. Even if the wind is behind you, it still kind of pushes you all over the place and you're still exerting a lot of energy. There's no like real coasting when you're rowing that would represent a life of the flesh under the influence of myself. But sailing is going. I am doing the right things that I can do. I'm doing the disciplines that I can do, but once that sail is harnessing the wind, it's just like, I am riding it. It's by the Spirit, I'm empowered by the Spirit. I am experiencing the joy and the peace of the Spirit because I'm not doing it in my own, Effort. It reminds me of Zechariah 4 when there's this prophecy of the Spirit, this picture of this crazy menorah, and the Spirit asks Zechariah, Do you know what this means? He's like, No, I have no idea what this means. And it's talking about like establishing God's kingdom, and it says, Not by might, not by strength, but by my Spirit. So we have to learn. How to set ourselves in such a way to harness the Spirit. That's a command. We are to be daily, as every believer, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Powerful picture. To be filled by the Spirit is essentially saying, I have attentive responsiveness to the external power. I am doing what I need to do to be aware of maybe where the Spirit is blowing. And friends, sometimes the wind's not blowing. And then I had a memory of Tommy Boy. <laughs> Towards the end of the movie, he's sitting in their sailboat. He's, he's talking to his, his dad. He's like, I've been stuck here for one hour with no wind again. He's just sitting there. And sometimes... God's going to test the church. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to wait for the wind to blow? And when it blows, will you set the sail where I'm blowing? He wants to know if the church is going to be obedient. He wants to know if the church is going to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. That's what that scene was in Acts one eight to Pentecost. Wait. For the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why else do we see so many times in Scripture, wait upon the Lord? Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Because when we don't wait upon the Lord, what do we do? We start rowing. and Then we get frustrated. God does a beautiful work in the waiting. You don't know which way the wind is going to blow, and we're trying to figure it out as we row. Wait. When the wind blows, you set the sail, word's going, and harness the wind and ride it. So how do we do this? Paul gives us four things specifically, verses 19 and on. Be filled by the Spirit, and here are four things that you can do. Speaking to one another, or in other words, some translation says addressing one another. This is, this is church speak, right? This is to brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus together. Yes, we want to declare the goodness and faithfulness and love of God to those on the outside. But Paul is saying to the church here, to one another, address one another, how good God is. Because sometimes I may not feel it and I might need to hear someone else's story of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his compassion, and how he's been leading like we need that, so address one another, but how? Paul gives us a specific way of how we ought to address one another, and he says it by singing. You sing psalms, which is a reference to the Psalter in the Old Testament, then he sings, says hymns. Or what are hymns? We tend to immediately think of generational stuff like the hymn book, but no, Biblically, hymns is any composition that an artist would write that becomes a church song. So anything is technically a hymn. Spiritual songs are moments of spontaneity in your heart where maybe they're singing and all of a sudden like you hear a worship leader kind of starting to sing a little bit off of the sheets and those of us who are type A, we're like, well, that's not on the screen. There, there there's a spiritual song to that. Like maybe when you're just like you're worshiping and you're not singing, maybe something else comes into your mind and your heart that you want to praise God for or adore Him over or convicted on. Friends, I, I want to lean in here because we tend to devalue and underemphasize the singing portion of church. Friends, I'm telling you, it's not okay. I'm stepping on toes. It's not okay to skip the singing portion of a service just because you've got to come to the main event, God's word. That's not okay. One, it's a disruption to other people. But two, you're not understanding what Paul is saying here about how we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go through the Old Testament, you see all of these connections to worship. An Old Testament prophet would even say, bring a musician and as he's playing, I will hear from the Lord. Worship leaders, in one, um, one story where God's like, send the worship leaders out in front. And as they go out and lead worship, I'll do my thing. Like over and over and over, we see this. Like why does Paul tell us to sing? What happens in this environment when we sing? You ever like read Psalms and you go, Man, Paul says to his own soul, I don't feel like singing. Oh, soul, why are you downcast? I will praise the Lord. You sing. Yes, something happens in the heart, emotionally, and in our mind as we think when we sing. God created music. Yeah, but we don't want to manipulate the emotions. Of course not. But don't make the mistake of saying emotions are wrong, they're not good. Yeah, but we don't want to like manipulate with all the the lights and all this kind of stuff. Have you ever read the instructions of how God instructed Israel to build a temple and a tabernacle? Full of symbol, full of smells, full of sounds, full of different looks. Why? Because he created us with senses. So how do we get filled with the spirit? You sing. You sing. So let me speak a few things real quick. Okay? Because I know some people are like, I don't like this song and I don't like this genre, all this kind of stuff. Here are some suggestions that I want to give you. I, insider information, I don't like every song that the worship team leads. (laughs) Don't tell them. (laughs) And I know you don't either. Because we all have preferences, we all have songs where something happened and we connected to it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's okay. But does that mean you like stop worshiping in that moment? Like, does that mean like you just get to tune off? Like, so here are some suggestions. And I, I have no idea when I was supposed to be done because we switched the service around. So listen and learn. If you don't know the song or or having a hard time singing along with it, listen and learn. Let the worship team sing over you. Declare who God is over you. Allow that to stimulate your heart and your spirit and your mind to stir up faith. Maybe just sing the song that they're singing even if you don't know it or even if you don't like it. Like, that's okay. Yeah, I want to be authentic. You are being authentic because you still know Jesus is worthy of that praise. It's okay. What happens if they start kind of like doing spiritual singing? Like, Well, then like either listen or like sing your own spiritual song. Maybe not like out loud out there because that could be weird. But like free two. But maybe it's in your own mind. Like you're like in the moment or we're singing a song. We're going to sing a new song right after this. And you're like, I don't know it. Well, just use the lyrics to launch you into something to pray about. Because it's still truth. I promise you, we will never allow bad theology to be on the screen through, this, through song lyrics for a poetic license. That will never happen. And if you really don't want to sing, pray. Pray during that time. But don't do this. Even though you know you're, ma- you're, you're trying to make a statement of your dislike of the song or the style and you're trying to let us know. We 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 get it. But like you got to understand what you're actually saying to Jesus. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. You got to realize how you're dishonoring the Holy Spirit in that moment. So when we sing songs like come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. What we are saying is Holy Spirit, we honor you here. We recognize you here. We want to set our sails where you yeah, at. Holy Spirit, come on down. Fall down on us. Like, what are we saying? We're saying we need the wind. We need the rain. We need to be, like, so moved and so, like, externally seen that we are filled with the Spirit or drenched with the Spirit. Whatever words you want to put to it that try to explain what happens. But here's the thing. We all who believe are commanded to be daily filled by the Spirit. It is an experience, and we will experience joy. You want to know if a church is experiencing, or if the church is filled to the Holy Spirit? I heard a theologian say it this way: "I know when the joy is in the church and they're filled with the spirit, because the joy has reached their face." And I thought about that. I was like, that's so funny. It's like, actually, they're showing it with a smile. They're they're happy to be here. And I was like, man, yeah, you know what? A lot of church people really don't look happy to be here. (laughs) Right? We start to experience peace and patience and power and all sorts of things and promptings. That's what's beautiful. So I want to add one more thing to this list of how to be filled by the Spirit. Luke 11, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And it says, you good fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You want to be filled by the Spirit, you, you ask. You ask. It's not because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, which allows you to pray, but you want to be filled by the Spirit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to design this time now where we can address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we want to encourage you to use this time to ask yourself, am I filled by the Spirit today? Am I placing myself underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit? Or am I under the influence of myself or something else? Maybe we just need to confess our sin of like dishonoring the Holy Spirit, or maybe like dishonoring the Holy Spirit in terms of like judging and criticizing worship and and churches that try to do the best that they can, like or what have you. Or maybe this is just a time for you to experience the joy of the Lord. But whatever it is, we want to encourage you: you do what you need to do. You set the sail to harness where the wind is blowing. We trust enough that the Holy Spirit to guide and convict and to lead to righteousness in this moment. And so I just want to pray for us and as we come together because there are a few other things that we see here. Right? We, we address one another. We sing, but we give thanks. Always, for all things, and for everything. So if you don't want to sing, man, this is a time for you just to give thanks giving thanks leads to humility and humility leads to greater grace. it's It's almost impossible to not be filled with the Spirit when you're living a life of gratitude. And then last and not least, you see this. If you want to be filled by the Spirit, you submit to one another. You submit to your brothers and sisters in the church out of reverence or respect to Jesus. You serve one another. You lay down your life for each other. You take the gift that the Spirit has given you and you serve. If this makes sense, because in Ephesians chapter three, Paul says, together with all of the church, we could experience together through the Holy Spirit to know the love of Christ the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of Christ happens when the church is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I just ask that in this time you would minister to us, God, and I just pray that um, in those words, Lord, that you, your spirit would do what you do best and, and apply it to our hearts. Convict us of sin where we need to be convicted of sin and and build us up in the areas where we need to be built up. But Lord, also maybe, maybe just bless us with your joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so God, I just ask that you would move in this time, that you would fall in this time, that you would come and we say, we honor you here. We thank you that the Holy Spirit indwells us But, Lord, help us to understand what it means to be filled by the Spirit. So, Lord, in a real way, we wait for you, and we we ask for your Spirit to guide and to lead. Praise in Christ's name.